tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. Oh, I, I'm looking forward to today's show. <laughs> I did research. <laughs> I, well, of course, I always do, sort of. <laughs> All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, that voice might eat an apple. That used to be my regular show prep. I'd eat an apple. Let's pray. Enough. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, while we got you on the line, please, we thank you for this coming holiday. We ask peace for our nation. Amen. All right, I just had to throw that in, because we need it. All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Okay. Belshazzar. Not El Shaddai. That's totally different. Belshazzar, um, uh, uh, which in... Which in uh, the Babylonian language, which was a, a Semitic language, it's Belshar Ushar. So it means Bel, the god Bel is in Baal, protect the king. No, 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 not that one. No, no, no. The different, the different. Okay, thank you. Was that going out live, voice in my head? Oh, it was. Oh, those larky producers, they are fun. All right, let's move along. Well, Belshazzar played a pivotal role in a coup d'etat. I'm reading this. Overthrew the king Labashi Marduk and brought Nabonidus to power in 556 BC. Okay, now, uh, what we see later is Belshazzar, uh, um, was apparently the son of Nabonidus, who was a, a different dynasty, and he was older. And it's a little complicated. Um, he's referred to as Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, but apparently he really wasn't. Uh, the whole thing is that the, the calendar is really screwy uh, as to which king is ruling when. And the reason I mention all this is not just so I can impress you with obscurity, but which is always fun, but uh, this points out the truth of Scripture, because there was a, a time when they said, well, no, 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 in the Nabonidus Chronicle and the Cyrus Cylinder and all that, um, uh, uh, you know, that... that uh, Belshazzar wasn't on the throne then. Nabonidus was. Well, they were both on the throne. 
very frequently. And that's, that's an interesting, that's interesting in itself. That thrones, we think of a throne as kind of a narrow seat for one person. They're really kind of large, uh, wide seats covered with hangings and cushions and expensive, expensive materials. And, uh, you could invite someone up to sit on the throne with you. When St. Paul says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that's what he's talking about. We're enthroned with Christ. Not in a separate throne, but we're enthroned with Christ. It's beautiful. Well, that's that's a sermon for another day. But the point is that that uh, Belshazzar really was the guy running Babylon while his father was off doing something else, Nabonidus. So um, it it proves the the historicity of the Bible. Now now as as I say, you know, there are scholars who say Daniel didn't write Daniel. I don't know. I wasn't there. I just know it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that's good enough for me, and it does clearly reflect history. So let's look at the actual passage here. Where did I put the actual passage? Okay. Um, the uh, They used the gold and silver vessels that were taken from the house of God in Jerusalem, and they were drinking wine from them, and they used them to pour libations, to praise their gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, and then... Suddenly, opposite the lampstand, the fingers of a human hand appeared writing on the plaster wall. And, you know, this is just smarmy of me. I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, when I see, uh, you know, now it's become very, very trendy to have large um, um, screens in the church that, that show you the words of the song, and all I can think of is <laughs> Mene Tekel Paris in the, the handwriting on the wall. Uh, that's where we get the idea, the handwriting on the wall. It's from the Bible, you know, the big book on the coffee table. So uh, um, it's terrified the king. And Daniel was brought in, and he's an old man now. This is the point at which the Persians are about to take over and allow uh, uh, the Jews to go back to the Holy Land. So um, uh, Daniel comes in and he says, I'll make you rich. You'll have the government. You'll have all that. He says, don't bother. <laughs> you're, in other words, you're, you can't give me those things because keep your gifts, give them to someone else because uh, you're out of here like, you know, like tomorrow. So many tekel and pairs, many. God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the on the scales and found wanting, and pairs, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So, you know, that uh, um, to me, the message of this is the, the hybris. Hybris is a fancy Greek word meaning promise you're never going to get yours. Well, he got his. I mean, you don't use the things of God for yourself. And to me, that's what this first passage is saying. You you don't use the things of God for yourself. Now, uh, as I said the other day, the worker is worthy of his salary. The scripture says, and uh, you gotta, uh, you, you know, religion <laughs> is not cheap, but it's so easy in the business of religion to forget the purpose of your service. It's to serve the Lord, and. Uh, Sometimes uh, we look at our ministry in the, the church. We have to defend the, this ministry. This ministry is very important. Well, one of the reasons it's paying my salary. That sort of thing. Um, God is good. God is generous. And God provides. But to use a ministry um, 
the way that Belshazzar and his courtiers used the sacred vessels of the temple invites disaster. So let's let's go and look quickly at the gospel here. Luke 21, the 12th chapter and following. You know, Jesus always tells you the truth. This is the problem with Jesus. He's never going to tell you a pleasant lie. I, he, there'd be more members in his in his in the church. <laughs> Remember the story I told about Saint Paula when she fell uh, out of a carriage or something. She shook her fist at heaven and said, "Lord, this is if this is the way you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them." I don't know if that's a true story, but it's a good one. Well, <laughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Jesus never tells us pleasant lies. The devil does, but Jesus never does. They will seize you and persecute you and hand you over to synagogues and prisons. They will lead you before kings and governors. And then he says, remember, you're not to prepare your defense beforehand. I myself shall give you a wisdom in speaking. And, you know, I have found that this is so. That I remember hearing about Fulton Sheen, who was asked how long he prepared his sermons. He said these 25 years. He preached, so, I mean, he prepared more than that, but, but the point was that, that his life was a preparation for his ministry, that, that um, this is not a profession, this is, this is a vocation. Uh, whatever you're doing in life, say, well, how can I raise kids? It's your vocation to be a father, a mother. Uh, if it's your vocation, the Lord will give you the wisdom. Um, there's no manual that I do that in the priesthood if if you or, or, or the religious life if you are living a, a spiritual life and and um, loving the lord it makes it a whole lot easier to to find the wisdom of god so you know the days the times that i'm prayed up and living the life of the lord no problems but then when i get involved in the business of religion as i like to call it then a lot of problems so you will be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will put you to death, some of you to death. You will be hated because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be destroyed. Wait, he just said we were going to be killed, but not a hair of your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. I thought you just said they were going to kill us. They may kill your body, but even your body is in the Lord's keeping. That that It sounds like there's a contradiction, but the Lord is not contradicting himself. He's saying that... that uh, you will uh, save your lives, and every hair of your head is important to God. Um, I think that's that's very necessary for us to remember, that we are important to God. Who, me? Yes, you. You're important to God. You may not be important to anybody else in this world, but you are important to God. And I had someone write a letter uh, a while ago about the idea that... that uh, um, we could refuse God, that, that, that um, we prayed that God would, would uh, do his will, that we could hinder God from doing his will. We, I, I know that I do every day, that I keep God from doing his perfect will in my life. And the real bulk of, of real prayer, say, Lord, you do what you want. And that sounds easy, but it's a hard prayer to pray. Uh, especially from the heart. All right, I want to go to uh, to mass hysteria early. Um, have we got a mass hysteria song? And ragtime, shameless music that'll grab your son, your daughter, with the arms of a jungle, animal instinct, mass hysteria. Trouble. <laughs> right here in River City. <laughs> Where the capital T and that you got rhymes trouble. Okay, there we go. 
Cute, cute. A new, a new mass hysteria thing instead of the cats and dogs. Mass hysteria. All right. Well, I got a call yesterday, and I was a little bit difficult, and I want to apologize. Um, somebody called in and said that uh, she was a music director, and she felt that the early Christians did this. They sang hymns. They did all this stuff. I said, why, why do you think that? It was kind of like, what do you mean? What, of course they say. You know, I think that I do it. <laughs> I bet you do it. We just assume that our vision of the past is is real. You know, that, that um, okay, here's, this is a good one. Romans were very clean people. They bathed regularly. There were bath bathhouses throughout Rome. Bathing was a very important thing to Romans. Not... Rome was a pigsty. It stank incredibly, and they never changed the water in the baths. In fact, is if you had an open wound, your your physician would recommend don't go to the baths; it'll get infected. They they never. Yes, the voice might just said it sounded like a one star motel. Not even. They were crammed into little rooms. They dumped their chamber pots into the street, and the bath water in the bathhouses was never changed or changed very rarely. You go see these bath, these ancient Roman baths, and you notice there's a pool, but there's no drain. Never occurred to them. They could put a drain in and fill it with fresh water. So that's a myth. We think of that. Well, um, you know, and the Greek and Roman statues were these marble abstractions. They were all painted. Uh, you know, you go into some garish building, uh, some traditional church, which is all painted up, and it's got the plaster statues painted in bright colors. That's what ancient Rome pretty much looked like. Uh, they've gotten especially good over the past 10 years uh, in identifying pigments that are stuck in the marble. So we have all these preconceptions. And of course, the early Christians, they got together and they sang hymns and uh, they told stories about Jesus. Then they shared bread and wine and somehow they knew he was present. No, that didn't happen. Uh, These were Jews, as I've explained, that up until 130 AD, give or take, uh, that's that's the pivotal date, not the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., but the last of the Jewish wars, which finally ended the Jewish presence, the significant Jewish presence in the Holy Land, and brought them all into exile. That was 130, I think 132 A.D., essentially. So uh, um, people didn't distinguish between Jews and Christians. Christianity was a sect of the religion of Israel. Uh, Judaism was the religion practiced by most of the Hebrews, as the Romans would generally seem to have called them, uh, <clears throat> though there were other groups, the Sadducees, uh, the Essenes, and different different groups. So, all that said, uh, the Jews didn't sing a lot. They sang. They sang the Psalms. But I remember talking to Rabbi Lefkowitz that, that the theory is that the chanting of things in Judaism came in later in imitation of the Romans, the Roman Christians, uh, who were the majority religion, and they kind of got got it from the Romans, is what Rabbi Lefkowitz told me. The psalm tones, the psalms, yes, they were recited, or they were sung generally. Uh, um, but very interestingly, um, the caller yesterday said, well, of course they did this. And I said, what? why do you think that? Well... They did it. How do you know that? Were you there? Long silence. And I, so I decided to look stuff up. Now, this is going to sound really, really special because 
Um, I'm actually going to say some things in Latin if I can find them. Okay. This is uh, Pliny's letter to Trajan about the Christians. It's letter, I think it's book 10, uh, letter 96. Um, and it says something very, and this is, believe it or not, this is written around uh, 110 AD. And it is the earliest description of mass outside the Bible, I think. I may be wrong about this, but I believe it is the earliest description of Mass, because I look at it uniquely as a Christian. A lot of scholars look at it who are not Christian and don't see what's going on. But I think when when I read it, you'll see why I read it this way. All right. The story is that um, uh, he starts out, Solemnius mihi domini. It is most important to me, my Lord, he's saying the Emperor Trajan, that anything I doubt I should refer to you. Um, who better can can uh, um, rule my doubts and delays. So he goes on to say he had, there were some uh, libels, some, some posters put up denouncing people as Christians. And uh, he didn't quite know what to do because he felt that that wasn't in the spirit of our age, or maybe Trajan says that in his next letter. But he found some uh, uh, um, people who had been Christians, who'd left the faith, and um, he examined them um, uh, after they had cursed Christ. They had spoken ill of Christ, and they had honored the images of the gods. These are people who had fallen away from the faith. Now, verse 7 of this letter, he says, uh, um, They affirmed this, however, to have been the high point uh, of their, their fault or error, uh, that on a certain day of the week... On a certain day uh, of the sun, in other words, they were, the Romans actually, at this point, had pretty much gone over to a seven-day week. They they had a, a four, basically a fourteen, fifteen-day week. Uh, they had the the calends and then the ides and the knowns. They they divided up the month differently. But the Jewish division, because there were so many Jews in the empire, and Jews would do nothing on Sunday, on the first day, or rather on Saturday, the seventh day of the week that Rome gradually was won over to uh, the seven-day week um, before Christianity introduced it. So on a certain day called that of the sun, let's see here. The um, Okay, okay, I'm looking at this. Uh, that the before light, uh, day of the sun, they came together, and this is it. And... Carmen quae Christo quasi Deo dicere, secum vigium seque sacramentum non in celos. You got that? Carmen quae Christo. And they sang, they didn't, it says in the most translation, they sang a hymn. It doesn't say that. They recited a poem, a Carmen. The word here is Carmen, not a hymnum, not a, a canticum. Those were words for songs. But it was a Carmen, C-A-R-M-E-N. And in Latin, that implied a sacred poem. Hmm. And they did it, uh, the text here says, they didn't sing it, dicere, they said it. Oh, they recited a, a, a sacred poem. And how did they do it? Uh, um, let me see here. Secum invicem. In other words, alternating with one another. They were doing exactly what we were doing, what we do when we read the Psalms. Have you ever attended a Vespers? One side does the verse, and then the other side does the verse. It isn't necessarily sung. 
This is consistently translated. They sang a hymn. It doesn't say that. They said a sacred hymn. The word is to say, not to sing. Uh, then um, uh, let's let's go here. And then uh, and they bound themselves with a sacrament. This is why I think this is mass. Pliny's not understanding this. He understands. He doesn't understand it at all. They bound themselves with a sacrament, not to involve themselves in any crime, uh, uh, not to commit adultery, uh, not, not to commit robbery, not to break faith, and uh, not to deny a bond that has been uh, deposited with them when they call on it. That's it. Uh, um, that's it. Quibus practice morum sibi shendi. Let's see if there's anything else. Uh, no, that that uh, that's it. And then the next description of mass outside is uh, let me pull it up here is um, uh, Saint Justin Martyr, and he describes the mass um, pretty pretty in, a, in in great detail, but he also emphasizes the moral nature of it. Um, but it's interesting. As far as I can tell, uh, they don't mention singing. Now, I'm not saying they didn't sing, but there's nowhere that it says that they sang at Mass. I think that's fascinating. It's clear to me from the reference in Pliny the Younger that they are using psalms. That is that's exactly what we've always done and what we're doing. But uh, um, this is Justin's Justin Martyr's uh, uh, discourse on the Eucharist. Now this is 155 A.D. and you can find it in uh, his the first Apology, chapter 65. We, after having thus washed him who has been convinced and has ascended to our teaching, there's that moral element again, bring him to the place where the brethren are assembled, and we offer hearty prayers in common for ourselves and for the baptized, and then having ended the prayers, we salute one another with a holy kiss. Uh, the, that's where the, um, uh, the, uh, in the early church, it seems that the, uh, the kiss of peace was at the, uh, uh, in the middle of the Mass. And um, when he's concluded um, all these prayers and thanksgiving, the people present their assent by saying, uh, by saying Amen. This word Amen answers in Hebrew language, uh, uh, so be it. Uh, then the presider gives thanks, and we find he talks about the Eucharistia, um, no one is allowed to partake it, but the man who believes the things that we teach are true. This is 155 AD, who's been washed with the washing for the remission of sins. Uh, not as common bread and drink, common drink to receive these, but in like manner as Jesus Christ, our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God. So the two earliest descriptions of mass that I know of outside of the scriptures, now uh, they're there is actually what seems to be a description of Mass in the Didache. That's around 90, 80, it may be earlier, but I don't think, I, when I think of these things, I'm thinking of genuinely um, secular situations. Justin, though he is a saint, he is presenting this to the Emperor, and uh, 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 Pliny the Younger is also presenting this to the Emperor. This is not, this is not in the house. So I think it's fascinating, but the thing that fascinates me is they don't mention singing. Now, I believe they sang. 
It makes sense. They were Jews. Jews sang the Psalms. But the idea that they sang songs, there's no evidence that there were songs sung at the Eucharist in the first days of the faith that I know of. Um, just, you know, I mean, when we when we study these things, well, we kind of need to uh, study them. Let's go on a break. We'll come back eight. If somebody has a better reference, I would like to know it. I mean that. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I hope your welcome table is wonderfully welcoming tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot to give thanks for. And uh, people like me, (laughs) I always think of my glass is always half full. (laughs) But it shouldn't be because it really is more than half. It's more than, or my glass is half empty. My glass is uh, really much, much more than half full. God has been very good to me. And uh, I think I did the voice by saying I really butchered that. Well, you know what I mean. God's been good to me. That's good enough. All right. Uh, let us go now to. I we did the the mass hysteria, didn't we? And we did the. Let's go to the letter to 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 the letters. Okay. 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 Let's see here. It's off the rails already. I knew it would be. Okay. Where's my long list of? Uh, okay. This is kind of interesting. This is from a while ago. It's uh Phil sent in something about Satan. What is the original Hebrew word? Satan, I believe. What else does the Hebrew word translate? It means a, a, a goad, a stumbling block. Uh, it, can, it can mean a lot of things, but um, um, it, it, um, the, in most instances in the Hebrew Bible, he writes, the Satan serves to cause a change of course by blocking a path. Thus, in numbers, the angel, uh, you know, uh, the, that, that, uh, uh, let me, let me pull this up. Hold on, Satan. And I hesitate to even put that in my computer. It means an obstruction. It's, it's derived from a Hebrew word meaning an obstruction. Um, it's also, um, uh, um, it, it also can, uh, has the same meaning as a, a scandalon. A scandalon. Uh, um, is a stumbling block. So uh, I don't know where all this is going, but uh, in the book of Job, you're referring to the Satan blocks God's intention to continue to shower Job with good fortune by literally playing the devil's advocate. And I, I just, rem- this is a big uh, uh, problem. Why Why does God l- leave the devil out of hell? Uh, well, I remember hearing an old Pentecostal uh, preacher um uh, who said, um, because you need him, <laughs> that, that this, that, 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 uh, there actually, even the devil is used by God. Um, 
that that uh, now now be very careful when I say that uh, you know this is it's, don't do this at home it's not to be fooled with uh, I remember someone challenged the devil and he ended up killed uh, never do that it's just avoid the devil <laughs> and if the devil bothers you just say a hail mary it better still say a whole rosary all right the uh, um but you wouldn't know the light if you didn't see the dark do you understand what i mean that the darkness highlights the light and and i think we need to understand that in 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 the uh, dynamic of salvation that the devil's function as the accuser of the brethren the tempter uh, is used even by God because it shows who we are. Um, you know, the, the fact that the word Satan means, and the same as scandalon, a stumbling blocks, an obstruction, that um, scandalon being Greek, Satan, Satan being Hebrew, a Semitic word, um, that do you really want to get around that, that stumbling block? How intent are you at arriving at God? So, Ah, just some thoughts on it. I wanted to answer that. Let me get rid of that one. I, I, you know, I talk about that stuff more than I want to. And, well, that's life. Okay, I got a question. This was a while ago when we were reading the book of Maccabees. Uh, this is from Aaron. Uh, what's his live? <laughs> this is from Aaron. So, Aaron, you're finally getting your answer. Uh, it's it's a Hebrew month. Let me let me find out where I put the Hebrew months at. Don't know. Of course, there are. The months are Tishri, Cheshvan, Kislev, Tevet, Shabbat, Adar, Nisan, Iyar, Silvan, Tammuz, Avon, Elul. And so, uh, um, uh, this. Um, uh, it's just a Hebrew month, Chislev. Let's see. Does it have? I wonder if it has a particular meaning. Uh, um, Chislev. I can tell you when it is if my if my computer will cooperate. Okay, Chislev happens in uh, uh, November, December, around then. You see, they they have a lunar calendar. We have a solar calendar. They have well, yeah. We have three hundred sixty-five to reconcile the the calendars. It's very difficult, but we get the this lunar calendar from the Babylonians as the Jews do, and um, we add, add leap years and that sort of stuff. Uh, so you know that it's it's very hard to. That's why Jewish feasts change all the time. That's why the date of Easter changes all the time because we're trying to reconcile a solar and a lunar calendar as we've been trying to do for about 4000 years. And the phones by the way are open 888-914-9149 888-914-9149. But Aaron Chislev is is a certain month and I have no idea what what Chislev actually means in Hebrew. If somebody knows what Chislev means, I'd love to know. Wouldn't you? All right, let's see here. Um, let me go to another letter, and then we'll go to a break and have our word of the day. And so do call in, because the phones are open. 888-914-9149. This is an interesting uh, letter from uh, uh, Dorothea. Uh, uh, this is Dorley, who... Fairly uh, regular correspondent. Hello, Dorley. How you doing? Uh, the book of Acts has so many wonderful stories about the early Christians, like those in Antioch and Ephesus. The early church was so alive and dynamic. What happened to all those early Christian groups? Makes me sad that formerly strong Christian re regions are no longer primarily Christian, since the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Why do you suppose God has allowed other religions to take over vast areas that were formerly Christian? Well, very interesting. First of all, Dorley, that that 
quote, the gates of hell will not prevail. Think about it. It isn't saying the gates of the devil will not prevail against the gates of the church. It's quite the opposite, that we're the ones storming hell. And the word hell here is the underworld, the, the world of the dead, and uh, not, not the place of eternal torment. But when you hear that the gates of hell shall not prevail, if you attack the devil, you're going to win. And I don't mean, again, with creepy stuff, with prayer, with spiritual warfare. And I, I always recommend the rosary in this. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, the devil has so much more to be afraid of you than you have of the devil. Uh, uh, now, take that carefully. Uh, within bounds, within the within the, uh, the the bounds of of what is allowed in the church. Not not anything, you know, this ghost busting stuff and all that. Uh, it's very dangerous. Or trying to communicate with spirits, very dangerous. Don't do it. But when you think about it, Spain, Sicily, Southern Italy, uh, Greece, much of Russia almost all of India, these were under the domination of another religious group that's very political. Those areas are now, once again, filled with Christians. So there are reverses, and it isn't, it isn't a numbers game. You know, I, I, I think what we need to worry about mostly is that, that there are Christians in the church and that I'm a, I'm a good Christian, I'm a good follower of Jesus. Um, it isn't, you know, numbers don't prevail. You got to remember that the early Christian groups that you talk about, if there were two or 300 Christians in, for instance, Corinth or Ephesus, that was a lot. It was tiny, tiny group of people. That section I've read about, uh, in Western Turkey, uh, um, in the letter of Pliny the Younger, tiny group of people and, and some had left the faith and yet the faith ultimately prevailed. And so far so good. We haven't been able to get in God's way. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And uh, then we will take phone calls at 888-914-9149. Let me give you that number again. 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Lord bless a serving honor of our king. He knew his time was drawing nigh. He knew that he would make a greater sacrifice. Now, I don't maintain that the early Christians sang old-timey or bluegrass. <laughs> Oh, they may have. All right. Let's go to the word of the day. In the gospel, in Luke, the 21st chapter, the 14th verse, remember you, remember you are not to prepare your defense beforehand. Well, let's, I just was curious how they said that. And they said it very interestingly. You are not uh, to, to make a defense. And the word is apologethenai. Uh, it's related to the word apology. And I, I just thought that was kind of interesting. When we think about apology, we think, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you hear about apologists for the faith. Uh, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. The word apology comes from the word logos, of course. And apo means from. And so it's to, it's to, uh, to answer reasonably. Apologothenai. 
Uh, and so it says, uh, in your hearts, uh, therefore, settle ahead of time in your hearts, not to make an apology beforehand. In other words, don't prepare your defense. But to me, the interesting thing about the word apologize, it has the word logos in it. It's reasonable. Logos has everything to do with reason. Logos is the reasonable heart of everything. Jesus is the logos. And this is about wisdom. Uh, that's what Jesus is saying, that that your your faith has to be a reasonable faith. You know, it's that I, I really feel it. Well, that's good. I, I really feel it, too. But to be reasonable. And, you know, I think that, that um, when we're teaching our children the faith, reason is very important. Not dry kind of facts, but reason. This makes sense. You know, I, I talk to you a lot about the Trinity. I think the Trinity is very reasonable. If you believe that God is love, the Holy Trinity makes perfect sense. Because God is a communion. God St. John Paul the Great said, is a solidarity, not a solitude. If God is love, who's he going to love? Well, he has us to love. Yes, if, if he was God by loving us, that would mean he was dependent on his creatures for his existence. The Trinity makes good sense if you believe that God is love. And the reason I believe God is love is that Jesus demonstrated that on the cross. It makes perfectly good sense. Our religion makes good sense. It isn't just a collection of, I feel this, I have such feelings, I feel Jesus in my heart. This is a wonderful thing. I feel Jesus in my heart too. Not all the time. But whether I feel him in my heart or not, I still worship him. All right, let's go to phone calls. This is smart. Maxwell smart. Oh, uh, who who's calling? Who have we got? John from Chicago, not Maxwell Smart. I'm not that smart. What can I do for you, John? Hi, Father. Um, you you speak of demons a lot. I listen to you every day. And uh, so I got in the proverbial lunchroom argument with a colleague who also is a very Catholic guy. And I say, said to him, I said, it seems awful easy to attract a demon. And uh, Father always warns against that. But yet, as far as attracting an angel... Uh, you know, being in contact with a with a true angel, that seems a lot harder. And so we were having this this discussion, and my colleague said, "Well, it's easy. A third of the angels were swept to the earth with with the dragon. So there's a lot more of them wandering mm -hmm. around." Uh, is what he said. So what what do you say? Do I have any oh, no. credibility in thinking that oh, no, it's no, 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 no. to? No, it's much easier. You don't have to attract angels. They're assigned to you. And the reason that the devil is so, when the devil, you know, I, I again, forgive me, but Screw Tape Letters, read by John Cleese on YouTube, chapter one, talks about there are two equal and, uh, I forget what he says, two equal uh, errors into which the human beings can fall, can fall into about the devils. One is that they they don't exist, the other that they're responsible for everything. And um, uh, we, the, the demons, uh, Screwtape says, are equally at home with a magician or a, a scientist. Um, yeah, the devil, the devil is in a quandary because uh, should he make his presence known, thus scaring people, or should he, should he continue to hide and be like, like a leaven of corruption in the dough? Well, the thing about angels, though, angels, they don't want you to notice them.
They're messengers. You know, I've shared the, the, the simile of a hose. You know, when you're, you're working in the garden on a hot summer day and uh, you need a drink and you go over to the hose and you turn it on and you wait till the water flows out of the hose, get all that hose water out until it's nice and cold and fresh. And then you drink from the hose and you go, ah. You do not say, oh, what a beautiful hose that is. My goodness, I'm sure that that hose improved the taste of the water. That is the most elegant and most impressive hose I've ever seen. You don't say that. You just drink the water. Angels are messengers. And they aren't concerned about what, whether we notice them or think of them. They want us to focus on and to hear from the Lord. Demons are, they, they love it when we focus on them because demons are proud. They are arrogant. They are narcissists. Uh, so, no, 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 you're surrounded by angels, and you have a particular guardian angel who's assigned to you. And I have a feeling you get some extras when you really need them. Uh, but uh, they don't draw attention to themselves, whereas the devil often does. So that's why it seems like it's easier to draw a devil than it is an angel. That's why it is a very wonderful thing to regularly pray to the guardian angel, that little prayer that we were taught as children, angel of God, my guardian dear. Does that help a little? It, it helps a lot. It really does, and it's an excellent answer. And, and a couple of weeks ago, someone called you and asked, and I don't, I think I got cut off for work or something, but they said, what happens when you die with your guardian angels? Do they get reassigned? And that's when I missed what your answer was. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so, uh, because there are probably more angels than ever been human beings. I don't think it's necessary. But I don't know. I, I don't think anyone knows that answer. Uh, the, but, uh, you know, that the, angels are interesting. They are always, Jesus says, they're always beholding the face of God. And they're here helping us. In other words, they're trans-dimensional beings. And uh, we, we Christians believe in different dimensions of reality. Uh, we were there before the physicists were. And uh, uh, they live in that universe and in our universe simultaneously. And so I think when you that way, I, what, do the, what do the angels do when they no longer have to worry about you and me? They continue their first job of worshiping God. So that's what they do. They got two jobs. They worship God and they take care of us. So I don't know that they would be reassigned. I don't think they have to be. Okay, I hope that helps a little. It helps a tremendous amount. Do you have time for one more quick question, or am I taking too much time? Make it real quick, because there are other people on the line. Okay. Does, does, if God, God started everything, he was the sole proprietor, per se, of everything. So does everything have a DNA uh -huh. in God? Does every person, does every cow, does everybody have DNA from God since he was a soul being at one time? And I won't ask anymore. No, I don't, I don't think it involves DNA. It involves his word, his reason. You know, it's interesting. DNA, I've read a book uh, pointing out how DNA is actually a language. And if it's something, it's a language by which you create essentially, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a word. God created all things by his word, and DNA is a language. Um, of of positive of with four four letters in it. Fascinating idea. So well, thanks for calling in. Who have we got now? Dear voice in my head, Sharon from Salt Lake City. Are you? What can I do for you? You're with us. Hi, I am, and happy early Thanksgiving. Good, good. Yes. Um, 
I have a question. You you referenced um, a couple of days ago um, the word palisade and said that it meant um, wall of sticks. And I personally yes. I thought that was kind of funny. I just want to know what um, <laughs> language that was translated from. Was it Greek, Hebrew, Arabic? Uh, I think it is. It is Latin. Uh, Paulus is oh, Paulus is a stick in Latin. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, a Latin okay. word. Okay. And the Romans were the ones okay. who put up palisades. Yeah, it's a Latin word. And if you speak any okay. Spanish, palo is a stick. Palo is a stick. Oh. There you go. Okay. <laughs> hey, may all your questions okay. be so simple. And God bless you. Thanks for listening. <laughs> all right. All right. Oh, all right. God bless. Thanks. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Mark from Avon, Minnesota. What can I do for you, Mark? Yes. Thanks for taking my call, Father. I got... Two short questions. They kind of tie in together. Questions. Um, I acquired a property, um, and unfortunately, I got rid of the house, but I kept the garage. And I found out from the neighbor who was his dad is um, the person killed himself. And oh, I, I don't. You know what I mean? I, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? It doesn't roast yeah, me out or anything no, like that. But yeah. I know he was Catholic, and I was curious what you know what happens to his soul. And also, you know, what prayers or what? Yeah. Well, if I, what I would do is, uh, I, I, what, can you tell me that person's first name? Oh, I, I, I think it's Jake. Um, there's a message. I will offer mass for the repose of his soul. Yeah, what I, I will offer Mass for the repose of his soul, but I, were I you, I would go to my parish and have Mass offered for the soul of Jake. Uh, and I will okay. I will offer that Mass also. And uh, uh, you don't know, he's in the hands of God. And we trust, we pray that, that, that you know, if a person is, he has to be totally free uh, to commit a mortal sin. And most people who commit suicide are under extreme mental duress. Uh, from mental illness or other circumstances. Assisted suicide, that's pretty cold-blooded. But uh, if a person does a rash thing, um, you know, we, we, we trust the mercy of God in that. So um, I will I will offer Mass for the repose of his soul. And uh, you have one set also up there. And, uh, you know, we'll pray that he's in the mercy of God. All right? No, that sounds... Should I... Bless the area. I mean, he's technically not there. You know what I mean anymore. No, I, um, I wouldn't worry about it. If if things okay. start getting weird, then you might want uh, to, uh, you know, bless salt or holy water, or even have uh, your parish priest come and bless the place. Couldn't hurt. Yeah, uh, you know, probably Excellent. it's nothing. All right. God bless. Oh, and I'll be praying for you. That's a that's sad. All right, and let's remember to pray for that man's family too. Who we got now, dear voice in my head. Roger from California, what can I do for you? Thank you, Father. A question about today's reading about King Belshazzar's banquet. Um, yes. He, they, they used the gold and silver vessels uh, taken from Jerusalem, mm -hmm. and there was a lampstand a little later on. Uh, is this, uh, this is correct historically, and where can I read about these vestments? I can't quite track it down so far. I've got, you know, the, 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 in Exodus 37, et cetera, you know, altar of incense. Oh, vessels. So vessels, on. yeah, the vessels in the temple. Yeah, you can, uh, um, uh, they, a lot of, there were incense shovels, there were, um, uh, there were oblation cups. In other words, they poured out, uh, um, uh, 
wine with every sacrifice. So they would they would have a lot of of these these sacred vessels, and uh, uh, they were they, you know the, the the offerings that went on were continuous. And and so you'd need you know you have need a little wine and some grain and maybe some salt. You had to have something to put them in. So there were a lot of a lot of uh, smaller vessels, not just the big ones. So I think that that's uh, uh, what what's being referred to here. So they had around the temple, uh, the, the shrine itself were three stories of storage rooms. So they had a lot of stuff in there for use liturgically. If you go into a, the back sacristy of, of any old church, you'll find similar things. So does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thanks a lot. Happy Thanksgiving. Folks. There you go. Well, thanks for calling in. God bless. Who have we got now? Christy from Austin. What can I do for you, Christy? Hi, Father Simon. I have a question about um, the saints, particularly female saints how um, their virginity is um, frequently um, mentioned and, um, mm -hmm. of course, um, revered or honored, um, but mm -hmm. not for the, for the male saints. That's almost never, I don't know that that's ever mentioned for the male saints so much. I oh, want to know, A, what is. Is, what's the significance of that? Um, is it because it's similar well, I, to I, Our Lady and it's... Is it because well, no, I think I think humility? it is. It is. Um, I think it comes from ancient beliefs that, uh, which is a recognition of the unique ability of a woman to bear a child. You see, in the ancient world, uh, inheritance law was very strict, and you had to be a legitimate child of someone. In other words, these kind of male-dominated societies. Um, uh, which you can't argue with history uh, that they existed. Now we don't agree with them on this uh, quite as much as, as we used to, but but that a woman was chaste, c h uh, a s t e, that she was that she was um, purely in relationship with one man was extremely important for inheritance law, and uh, thus became important it was an added responsibility the the virginity of a woman had to do with the integrity of the family in a way that that men don't have and uh, though there are male saints who are mentioned as having preserved their baptismal innocence that sort of thing so you, it is mentioned with males but the importance of female virginity in the legal structure of the world before our times it's very important. They didn't have DNA to make sure that <laughs> there were no cuckoo's eggs in the nest, as the saying goes. Um, but that was the reason. I hope that helps because, well, Drew's coming up and he will certainly help. Lord knows he helps me. 